I believe, uh, and correct me on this if I'm wrong, I believe this is the first Lord's Day since March 12th, March 22nd, 2020, uh, that now all of our members have returned. And we praise God for that. We praise God. What a blessing that uh, the Lord has brought us through. I don't know if you remember we, us talking about this at some points throughout the pandemic, um, that whenever that day came, it was going to be a holiday from this point on, a day of celebration. I'm reminded that uh, when the Israelites, uh, there was a time in Israelites' history where they were in trouble and the Lord came through for them and they set up a rock as a monument. It was the, the we sing this actually, Oh, thou fount of uh, every blessing. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Amen. Here by thy great help I've come. And that, that Ebenezer is the stone uh, of hope, a stone, a stone of help, that God has helped us and brought us this far. And we praise God for that. Um, we praise God for the Lord's work to bring us all back together. Um, as was also mentioned, uh, I think a couple of times already today, we've also been greatly blessed by God. To add a number of people uh, over the past few months as well um, to the group here, and we give thanks for all of you who have joined us uh, as we seek to serve the Lord. What a blessing it is to be able to work together um, in harmony. And if the past year and a half has taught us nothing else, uh, it, it is that, that it is a great blessing to be able to gather and to worship our God. Um, so with that said, we're going to uh, move into the lesson. We've been studying through um, the fruits of the Spirit uh, this year, um, or the fruit of the Spirit, uh, as you might say, in Galatians chapter 5, um, where Paul uh, lays out for us how we will know if the Spirit of God is at work in us. Um, and this is important because a lot of times people think like, hey, the way you're going to know if, the, if somebody has the spirit of God or not is by the gifts that they exercise. A lot of people think, well, this person can speak in tongues, therefore they must have the Holy Spirit. Or this person can cast out demons, therefore they must have the spirit of God in them. But Jesus actually says in Matthew chapter 7 that there are going to be many people who would cast out demons and perform many miracles in his name who Jesus would say to them, I never knew you. Amen. And so even having extraordinary gifts of the Spirit is not a, a clear sign that somebody is, uh, has the Holy, is filled with the Holy Spirit and has the Holy Spirit within them. How do we know if the Holy Spirit of God is within us? The text teaches us that it's through the fruit that we produce. Jesus taught that you will know them by their fruit. So actually, the way that I can determine whether or not I'm filled with the Spirit or not is through the fruit of my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We've been looking at these one by one this year and talking about them. And I have... Uh, I have not been eagerly awaiting this discussion today. Uh, we've come to the fruit of the Spirit known as gentleness or meekness. And uh, I think the further I get down the list, the more convicting this gets to me. Um, and especially when it comes to gentleness and self-control, uh, those are areas in which I think I have uh, tremendous room for improvement. 
Probably, uh, the truth is that if I saw myself as God sees me, I would admit that that was true of every one of these fruits of the Spirit. Uh, there is a great need for growth and for repentance. Um, but nonetheless, that's where we are today. And I, I wanted to ask you as we get started here, um, if, you were to, if you were to think about from your experience among people who claim to know God and claim to love God, what is the most neglected fruit of the Spirit? What is the most neglected fruit of the Spirit? Now, obviously, that's going to be different depending on your circumstance and your, uh, who you've been with. Uh, but I think for me, I think it would be gentleness. What is the most neglected fruit of the Spirit? Um, how often do you hear people talk about, hey, we're becoming partakers of the divine nature. We need to become like Jesus, the, the stuff that Ben was teaching about. And then they say, you know what we need more than anything else? We need gentleness. We need gentleness. Sad to me that often in our culture, in our society today, Christians do not have a reputation for gentleness. Amen. And often people, people in the world look at Christians, and when they think of Christians, they think of harshness. They think of people that are, are, are bitter and resentful and angry. Um, Christians ought to have a, rep a reputation of gentleness. Uh, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, Let your gentle spirit... Be made known to all. How will the world know that we are people of Christ? By our gentleness. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit today about gentleness. Um, by the way, some of your Bible translations may translate this word meekness. It is often translated as meekness. And we need to talk a little bit about these words. What does it mean to be meek? Or what does it mean to be gentle? Um, so we're going to talk about the definition of it. We'll talk for a moment about the blessings that God promises to those who are meek. Um, and then we're going to talk about hindrances to meekness and, and how to pursue it. Um, so let's start with the definition. I do think this is a word that is often misunderstood. Uh, part of the reason for that, I think, is it's, it's a word that's kind of hard to define. Um, it's, you'll notice that in, if you read through the places where this word is used throughout Scripture, it's often translated in different ways. Um, but I think a definition to start with of meekness um, is meekness is a humble and gentle attitude that is patiently submissive in every offense while being free from any desire for revenge or retribution. All right, let me say that again. Uh, I think this is a good working definition to start with of meekness. Meekness is a humble and gentle attitude that is patiently submissive in every offense even while being free uh, of any desire for revenge or retribution. When you think of meekness, humility ought to come to mind. And not just humility, but gentleness ought to come to mind. Um, now, this is a word that I think is often misunderstood, uh, and you've probably heard people say this before. Um, sometimes people think of meekness as weakness. You know, um, meekness is just being weak, uh, that we're not actually, uh, you know, you don't have courage. Uh, therefore, you're meek because you're so weak and you can't stand up for yourself. That's that's often what people think of uh, as meekness. Um, I want to suggest that strength and meekness are not uh, mutually exclusive. They are not mutually exclusive. Uh, examples of that. Moses was the meekest man uh, on earth, according to uh, the Torah. Uh, he doesn't seem like a very weak man. 
a man that's willing to stand up to Pharaoh himself, the strongest man in the ancient world, uh, take some courage, take some strength to do that. Um, but even if you say, well, Moses was weak in some ways, you know, remember he made excuses, he complained, and he didn't want to go, and he needed help to go and all that. Well, how about this? Jesus describes himself as meek and lowly in heart in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus describes him. Now, I don't think any of us would want to argue that Jesus was weak. Um, Jesus was a man of great strength, the greatest strength of any man who ever lived. And yet he was defined by his meekness. So meekness is not weakness. It's not the absence of courage. It's not refusing to actually stand for anything in your life. Meekness is a willingness to stand up for your convictions with humility and with gentleness. And meekness is an attitude that says, even when people do wrong to me, and even when people mistreat me and falsely accuse me and revile me, I'm not going to return evil for evil. I'm going to be self-controlled. Um, I remember one of, the, one of the best illustrations for me of meekness. I remember once uh, Cyrus was born, we had only had uh, our pet boxer um, for uh, a few months at that time. But he was already huge um, and like 65, 70 pounds. Uh, and I remember as Cyrus started to grow up, you know, kids are always pulling at things and grabbing things. And I remember there'd be times where he'd be pulling at Winston's ear or like grabbing his face and that sort of thing. And I'm like, this boxer could just smash this kid and destroy him. But he's exercising self-restraint. Um, by the way, I'm not recommending letting your kids play with a, a big dog like that uh, uh, unattended. But my point is to help you understand that meekness is not the absence of strength, but rather a willingness to exercise restraint Amen. and self-control, even when offended and even when people are doing you wrong. Amen. So, just thinking about that definition, how are you doing with meekness and gentleness in your life? How would you rate yourself uh, on this particular fruit of the Spirit? Uh, how would the people close to you rate you on meekness and gentleness? Most importantly, how would God rate you on meekness and gentleness? If this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, then it ought to be that people look at us in the world and they see us as gentle and meek and humble people. It ought to be that the world can see that about us. And in fact, the Bible promises tremendous, tremendous blessings to those who are meek and gentle in heart. Look with me for a second at a couple of psalms. Go back to Psalm 147. And there's many, many psalms we could go to uh, to teach this point. But look at Psalm 147. Psalm 147 and in verse 6, listen to this. The Lord supports, my translation says, the afflicted. But the word there is the meek. The Lord supports the meek, the, the afflicted. He brings down the wicked to the ground. Do you want the Lord to support you? Do you want the Lord to relieve you? Do you want the Lord to be your defender? Well, what kind of an attitude, what kind of a spirit do you need? A spirit of meekness, a spirit of gentleness, a spirit of humility. 
Skip over uh, just one page in my Bible to Psalm 149 and in verse 4. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify, again, mine says, the afflicted ones with salvation. But again, the word there is the word for meek. The meek ones with salvation. The Lord will beautify. Do you want the Lord to beautify you? Do you want, to, do you want the Lord to remove your blemishes? Do you want the Lord to restore to you the beauty that he created you in his image? Well, this is the spirit that we need, a spirit of meekness. Um, look at Isaiah chapter 11 and in verse 4. Look at Isaiah chapter 11 and in verse 4. This is God's promise that um, a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. Speaking of the Messiah here that would come, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, verse 2, spirit of wisdom and of counsel and of strength and understanding and of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Look at this, verse 3. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with, the, with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted, for the meek of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with, his breath, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Who is the Lord defending? Who is the Messiah going to come and protect? Who's the one he's going to execute justice for? Those who are meek. Those who are afflicted. Those who are lowly. Those who are humble and gentle in heart. Um, let's skip down to another passage in Isaiah, chapter 61, where uh, speaking of the Messiah in Isaiah 61 and in verse 1, look at this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. You might remember this. This is the passage that Jesus read from when he sat in the synagogue, when he stood up in the synagogue to read the word of God uh, in, in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good, no good news to who? To the meek, to the afflicted, to the, to the bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim captive, liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. The promise of God defending, the promise of God's Messiah coming to protect and to rescue and to relieve is always given to whom? To those who are meek, to those who are gentle, to those who are humble in heart. You might recall in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. When Jesus gives the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. He's drawing on the prophets there. He's simply, he's simply reiterating something that was already taught in the Torah, that God's blessing would be upon those who are gentle, those who are meek in heart. Those will be the ones who inherit the land. We already spoke about Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29. What was it that made Jesus so attractive to people? Why is it that people, even deep, dark, sinful people, would be attracted and come to Jesus? Well, I think this is why Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle. I am meek. And lowly in heart and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Amen. Meekness is important because meekness is how you find rest. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Well, how can I trust that? Well, because he's gentle, because he's meek and lowly and humble. Therefore, I can trust that if I come to him, 
he will receive me and he will give me rest. What a blessing it is that we worship a Lord who is not the kind of Lord that we're used to in the world. Somebody who's used to domineering and used to taking over and used to, used to imp- uh, abusing and, and taking advantage of people. We worship a God who is meek and lowly. No friend like him is so high and holy, and yet no friend is so meek and lowly. Praise God that we worship a Savior who is gentle in heart. Remember the description of Jesus as he was coming into Jerusalem, headed to the cross. They didn't know that, but he's coming into Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 21 and in verse 5, and it's quoted about him as he comes in on a baby donkey. Remember what's quoted about him from the book of Zechariah? Verse 5, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. What a blessing that we worship a gentle Jesus, a savior who is humble and lowly and meek in heart. It ought to be, especially after last week's sermon, that we, we're thinking, oh, well, that's all I need as far as motivation. If Jesus is meek and gentle, then that's what I want to be. We're, our goal is to become partakers of the divine nature. Then I want to be whatever he is. And looking at Jesus ought to motivate us to become meek. But, you know, this is, a, this is hard for us, isn't it? Meekness is not easy for us. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that um, that, that are really difficult, that make meekness really hard for us. Number one... Um, it's, it's not popular. Um, it's not the way of the world, right? People don't become great in America by being meek and lowly. Think about it. Think about it. All right, think about the politicians. How do you get in power in this world? It's not through humility. It's not through gentleness. It's not through meekness. Very rare to find people in power that have that kind of a spirit. Amen. We prize the opposite of meekness. We prize pride. And we prize selfishness. We prize, we prize things, like, things like those things that, that, that actually are anti-God in every way. Which related to that, one of the reasons meekness is so hard for me is because I have such a problem with pride. Pride is the reason I have such a hard time when people offend me. Pride is the reason why when I get reviled, I I feel like I have to revile in return. Pride is the reason. You can't talk to me that way. You can't do to me things that I don't deserve. That's not right. That's not fair. I don't deserve that. One of the things that will help you to pursue meekness is to remember that whatever accusations are brought against you, whatever attacks are brought against you, Whatever reviling you may receive from other people, whatever they say, even if it's false, worse things could be said about you that are true. Isn't that true? (laughs) Think about that. The next time you get attacked, the next time you get reviled, people make accusations, they say things, it's completely false. The truth is that if God was here and if he was executing justice and revealing all of my sins and my flaws, Whatever they said about me, he could say worse. He knows it all. He could unload all of my filth to the world if he wanted to. Part of pursuing meekness is attacking pride. Because pride hinders me 
from being able to see sin and being able to repent of it and being able to have a spirit that is gentle in the face of those who are harsh toward us, in the face of those who are resentful or bitter and attacking us, those who revile us. I need to be attacking pride. Think about this with the disciples in Luke chapter 9. Uh, the disciples in the, in the gospel of Luke are anything but meek. They are anything but meek. Listen to this. In Luke chapter 9, for example, um, in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 46, uh, Jesus is over here telling them about what it means to be the king. He's telling them, hey, just so you know, now that you understand that I'm the Christ, I need to tell you something really important. I'm going to be delivered in the hands of, uh, of sinful men. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. Hard for them to recognize, hard for them to understand. How could a leader, how could a king, how could a lord ever suffer and die? Lords and kings are not supposed to suffer and die. They're the ones who are supposed to inflict suffering and death on other people, right? But actually, Jesus says, no, this is where I'm going. Right after that, what are the disciples doing? Arguing. Do you guys remember what they're arguing over? Luke chapter 9, verse 46. Who's the greatest? Which of us is awesomest? Which of us? We know Jesus is number one, but which of us is number two? You know, like, it, surely it's me. You know, that's what's going on. And as they're arguing about greatness, Jesus is trying to teach them about his meekness. That he's headed to the cross. Right after that, in, uh, in verse 49, John tells Jesus, and said, after Jesus says to him, Hey, if you want to be great, you've got to receive a child. You've got to receive a child in my name. That's how you receive me. It's not about proving yourself to be better than people. It's about you learning to help those who are most lowly, the people that nobody else cares about. You receive those, and that's how you'll receive me. And he said, for the one who is least among you all, this is the one who is great. John responds, and he says, hey, actually, Jesus, this is a more important matter we've got to deal with here. I'm adding that, but that's kind of in his mind here. He said, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he doesn't follow along with us. Now, why would John see someone casting out demons in the name of Jesus, doing good work for God, and say, hey, you can't do that? Why would he do that? Pride. He's not with us. He's not as good as us. Don't let him do that stuff. Don't let him be recognized for the great works that he's doing for, for God and bringing glory to his name. Pride. And Jesus says, don't hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. Uh, right after that, Jesus uh, sends messages, uh, messengers ahead of him, and they go, and they enter a village of Samaritans to make arrangements for Jesus, a place for him to stay as he's traveling down toward Jerusalem. But the Samaritans didn't receive him. So listen to this. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, what did they say? Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Not exactly a picture of meekness here. Gentleness, is it? Um, kind of embarrassing when you think about it. But there's two things going on with the disciples here. One, as we've already mentioned, is their pride. The second one, and this is another big hindrance to meekness for us, is our fear. We are afraid that if we possess a spirit that is gentle and lowly and humble and meek, we're afraid of what that, what that might mean for us and what it might cost us. What might happen to me? I need to th throw down fire from heaven on these guys because if we don't do it first, they might do it to us. They don't like us after all. 
I need to revile and attack because if I don't do it, if I don't stand up and defend myself, then they're just going to keep attacking me. They're going to keep falsely accusing me. They're going to keep saying bad things about me. And the idea is that we don't trust God enough that he's actually going to relieve us, that he's actually going to rescue us like he promised in Scripture. Therefore, we think we have to take matters into our own hands. I can't, deal, I can't let people say bad things about me. I can't let people, uh, uh, you know, falsely accuse me. I can't let people do wrong to me without fighting back. Because what might happen to me? Look, if we're going to pursue meekness, these two fundamental things, characteristics and qualities, must be part of our pursuit of meekness. Humility and faith. Humility and faith. That God will defend us. That God will protect us. That God will relieve us and he will bless us. Let's talk for a moment about all right, how do we do, pursue this practically um, in the few minutes we got left. So um, turn with me, if you would, to uh, James chapter 1 and in verse 21. James chapter 1 and in verse 21. After James says, I'm sure you guys remember this part, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Verse 21 says this, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. In humility, in meekness, in gentleness, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. I want to suggest that the pursuit of meekness begins with a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit. If I want to become meek, I must learn to have a teachable spirit. I must begin with an acknowledgement that I do not see everything. That I do not know everything. That I am not all-knowing and omniscient and therefore able to always make righteous judgments about everything. There is more for me to see. There is more for me to learn. There is more for me to be taught. And I want to suggest this, that meekness, the pursuit of meekness, begins with our attitude not towards other people, but our attitude towards God. Now, I, I, I found this quote. I thought this was helpful. Um, Meekness does not uh, consist in a person's outward behavior only, nor yet in his relations to his fellow man. Rather, it is an inward grace of the soul, and the exercises of it are first and chiefly towards God. It is that temper of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good, and therefore without disputing or resisting. Do you understand what he's saying there? What he's saying is that in order to be meek begins with my attitude, not towards you, but towards God. Am I submissive to God? Am I willing to receive what God has given? And that begins with my attitude towards his word. I want to ask you this. The last time you heard something hard from the word of God, what was your response to it? Resistant? Nah, I ain't following that. I ain't obeying that. I ain't going to change that. 
Or are you humble and submissive to be able to receive God's word implanted on your soul in a way that will transform you and help you grow? What's your attitude towards the word of God when it's preached? When truth is spoken, how do you respond to it? Do you have a teachable spirit? Listen to this. Um, Proverbs chapter 12 and in verse uh, 1. Proverbs chapter 12 and in verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. It's the Bible saying that, the S word there, not me. Um, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. And I want to ask you this, because I want to take this one step further. To have a teachable spirit does not just mean I listen when the word of God is being read. It also means I listen when the word of God is being applied to my life. And that may come through other people sometimes who are counseling and advising and giving me grace through correction. How do I respond to correction when it comes? How do I receive it? With a teachable spirit, humility, lowliness, a willingness to receive it and to, and, to, and, to, and to find whatever is said that is helpful so that I can grow? Or do I receive it with a spirit of pride, thinking that's not true of me, I'm not listening to that, I, I know I didn't do that, I know that can't be true about me. What, what is my response when the word of God is applied to me? One of the things that's helped me the most, I, can't, I, I can tell you stories um, about times when people came to uh, try and correct me. Um, and, you know, the, a proud person, and this is, this is, I'm describing myself here, a proud person can always find something wrong with the correction that's given. You know, that wasn't completely true. He, he missed something there. Like, you know, you can always, and I have found many reasons to dismiss valid criticisms of me over the years. The humble person is not that way. The humble person recognizes, the meek person recognizes that in this world, uh, truth is often going to be given through humans in imperfect ways. Therefore, my goal is not to find a flaw with the correction and figure out what is wrong with what's being taught to me. The meek person says, what is right and what is true and what is it in me that, needs to rep- that I need to repent of and change? The humble person has a teachable spirit. They learn to love reproof. They don't hate it. They love it. They, they, they invite correction. And I want to ask you, would people who are closest to you say that about you? That you invite correction. You are eager for it. You are eager for people to come in and teach you how to more accurately be pleasing to God. One of our hindrances to meekness is pride. So the pursuit of meekness begins with a humble, teachable spirit. Let me just add to that. Um, the pursuit of meekness continues, secondly, with um, submissiveness to the will of God. Submissiveness to the will of God. And this is important because uh, Colossians chapter 3, a verse that we read last week, which speaks about us being renewed into the image of Christ. Listen to what he goes on to describe that looks like in verse 12. What does it mean to be renewed into the image of Christ? To the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. That's verse 10. Skip down to verse 12. This is what it means. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness or meekness and patience. 
bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. What does it mean to have the image of Christ? It means to be gentle like Christ. It means to be meek like Christ. And part of that is being submissive to what it is that God's trying to accomplish in my life. Some of us have gotten much better at being submissive to what, I, what, what doctrines I know God teaches, what I should believe, than we are at being submissive to the character that God is trying to produce in us. And Paul's reminding us and calling us back to that, that this is the kind of spirit that God desires from his people. This is how you'll be known, by your compassion and your kindness and your humility and your gentleness and your patience. Be submissive to God's will. If I'm not submissive to God's will, then how could anyone say that I am truly meek or truly gentle? I may come off as sweet. I may come off as kind. But if I can't be submissive to God, how am I truly going to be meek and gentle to others? Eventually, I'll be exposed as lacking in meekness and lacking in gentleness. Um, All right. Let's get a little bit more specific. So uh, the pursuit of meekness begins with a teachable spirit. It it continues with submissiveness to the will of God. And then lastly, but I'm going to try to apply this in some different directions. um, it, 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 It continues with practice. That we have to practice gentleness, meekness, and humility in relationships. And the Bible gets a little bit more specific, which I'm thankful for because sometimes I need that. Um, more specific. What kind of relationships? Well, let's start with this one. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that walking worthy of the calling begins with exercising meekness or gentleness towards brethren. Notice that even before he talks about the doctrines that we are to be united in as the people of God, which are absolutely critical and vital, absolutely we cannot be one if we do not agree on these core doctrines. But even before that, he speaks about the attitudes. And I don't know why Paul did that, but I do have a theory on that. I wonder if that's because I can't become one with other people in doctrines if I'm proud and arrogant and afraid and unwilling to, to, uh, to, to love other people. The way that oneness comes is through us reasoning together and looking at what God says is true. And if I don't have a humble spirit, I can't do that with people because I can't be corrected. I already know everything. So meekness is fundamental to my relationships with brethren. He goes on in that passage to talk about how we're working to attain to the unity of the faith. And that's what, that's what church is all about. That's what God's people are all about. We're in this together to try to become one. Well, a critical part of that is growing in gentleness. And ask yourself, do, you, do your brothers and sisters in Christ know you as being a gentle person? As being humble and meat and heart. Um, let's get a little bit more specific. Uh, how about for teachers? Listen to this from James chapter 3. James chapter 3 and in verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? A lot of us would like to say, I'm wise. Yeah, I understand some things. I know some stuff. What does he say? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. I want you to think about this, teachers. Some teachers, have you experienced this? You ever seen a teacher, even when they're right about what they're teaching, you don't want to agree with them. 
Even when they say something that's true, you're like, I know he said the truth, but I really don't want to agree with that, even though it's true. Why? Because of their attitude, because of their harshness or their abusiveness in speech. Some teachers, even when they're right, you don't want anything to do with them. Why? Because they use truth to actually uh, abuse people and to take advantage of people and to use people in hurtful ways. Some teachers are really good at teaching people how wrong they are. And they can, they're really good at pointing out what you believe about this that's wrong or how you act in this way that's wrong and picking at all these little things. They're really good at teaching you how wrong you are, but not very good at teaching you how to become more and more like Jesus, gentle and lowly in heart, yeah. humble in spirit and meekly. I want you to think about this. If you're a teacher in any area of life, if you, if you are given... Um, the opportunity to teach, remember that James says that we're going to receive a stricter judgment. So if you're a teacher, I want you to think about this. If gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, then if the fruit of our teaching is not gentleness, our teaching is not from the Spirit of God. All right, let me say that again to make sure we got that. If gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, then... If the fruit of our teaching is not producing gentleness in myself and in the lives of the people that I'm teaching, then our teaching is not from the Spirit of God. And it doesn't matter how many true things you might say. The Spirit of God has said, this is what it means to be a people, to be gentle, to be meek. Therefore, it ought to be that our teaching produces meekness and gentleness in others. Uh, How about this? Uh, Correcting error. In correcting error, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 25, listen to what the text says. The Lord's bondservant, verse 24, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. Once you think about this, how when you see something that's wrong in a brother or sister and you go to correct them, how do you do it? Some of us, man, that's like our time to shine. Yeah. Let me tell you about how everything is wrong with you. Let me tell you about what I see. Our goal ought to be when we have to correct people, when we have to show someone the error of their way, our goal ought to be to make that as easy as possible for the other person. Let me say that another way. Our goal ought to be to not make it any harder than it needs to be on them to accept the truth that they need to hear. The goal is to be no more offensive to people than the gospel is offensive to them. You hear that? Sometimes it's not the gospel that's offending people, it's my attitude. It's my harshness, it's my arrogance that's coming out in the way that I speak to you. If I'm going to correct, I need to do so with gentleness. That's not an option. That's a command from God. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 25. Uh, same goes for, for confronting sin. The verse that our brother Daniel read, in uh, the last verse, uh, right after speaking about the fruit of the Spirit, what's the very next thing he says in Galatians 6 and verse 1? Brethren, if anyone's caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one. Well, what kind of spirit? With a spirit of Gentleness, looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. When you correct other people with their sin, when you go to confront somebody about sin, what kind of a a spirit do you have? 
you know what ought to help me with this? I need to think about what kind of a spirit does God have toward me when he corrects me with my sin. Can we not all say together that God has not punished us as our sins deserve? Therefore, when we go to correct a brother or sister in sin, it is not my job to try to inflict on them the punishment that they deserve. It is my job to try to restore them to repentance, to point them back towards God. And the best way to do that, the Bible teaches, is through gentleness. To confront them about their sin with gentleness. And if I want people to confront me about my sin, if I want people to be gentle on me because I'm sensitive about my sin and need any gentleness in order to receive that correction well, then I ought to be giving that to others as well. Um, All right, so when confronting sin, uh, when correcting error, when teaching with brethren, um, how about this? When somebody is angry at you, respond with gentleness. Remember this in Proverbs 15 and verse 1? Uh, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I remember this when I was driving in Harlem a few years back. This kind of hit hit home. There was a a moment, um, tight traffic, bad, crazy stuff going on. Um, And uh, this guy was trying to get in the lane. I was already moving into the lane before him. um, But man, he was mad at me. He just laid on the horn. What are you doing? Cutting me off, that sort of thing. Comes up, my windows are down, his windows are down. Starts screaming at me, starts screaming, screaming. And there are many other stories I could tell you where I didn't handle this well. But in this particular case, I just looked over at him and I was like, man, I'm sorry. Um, truthfully, I, did, I didn't think I'd done anything wrong. But I said, man, I'm sorry. He's like, thank you, man. And that was it. He was cool. <laughs> Calm down. Um, a soft word, a gentle word, can turn away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Think about this the next time you're in a confrontation. The next time you're having a problem with a brother, a sister, a friend. Think about this. When you are in a relationship with someone and somebody's angry at you, the best way to address that is with gentleness. Is with gentleness. I know that's not what the world teaches. I know that's not what our culture teaches. I know that's not what you're going to see on TV. But it is what the Bible teaches. And we are Christians. So we obey the Bible. In marriage, in marriage, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23 gives responsibilities to a husband. And in verse 23, it speaks of the husband being the head of the wife, right? Which man, us husbands, we love that, right? Men, some of us have totally missed biblical masculinity. Totally missed it. We totally misunderstood. We think of gentleness as being a feminine characteristic. If somebody's gentle, they're being effeminate. But Jesus was the manliest man that ever lived. And he was a man who was gentle in heart, taking little children into his arms, weeping at the death of his friend, uh, dealing gently with deeply sinful people, welcoming uh, affection even from his own disciples. Jesus was gentle. Therefore, husbands, some of us think that being the head means that we get to insist on our own way and we get to make the decisions in the relationship. And that is not at all what he is describing in Ephesians chapter 5. To be the head is to be like Jesus, gentle and loving, cherishing and nourishing our wives, 
Receiving correction with humility, exercising self-restraint when we're wrong, not returning evil for evil in the marriage relationship. That is how we play the part of Jesus. Think about 1 Peter 2 on that, and let me turn it to wives for a second. Remember in 1 Peter 3, right after he talks about how Christ has suffered, and he's given us an example to follow in his footsteps. What is it, wives, that's going to win your husbands to the Lord? Remember what he talks about in 1 Peter chapter 3? It's not a fighting spirit. It's not combating everything my husband does wrong. It's not calling him out on every sin that he commits. What is it? It's your gentle spirit. 1 Peter chapter 3. And then he says, this is the way that women who hope in God adorn themselves. You want to win your husband? You want to help your husband to grow in his relationship with God and to change the way he treats people? Here's how you do it. You do it with gentleness. You have a gentle spirit toward him. A humble spirit. Titus chapter 3 and verse 2 and 3 says that we're supposed to have this gentleness toward unbelievers. Uh, and I want you to think about this. There are all kinds of things wrong with people in the world. Of course there are. They are in the world. They are all a different father. They don't have God as their father. They have the devil. Therefore, it should not surprise us to find people in the world acting like the devil. It shouldn't surprise us. Therefore, how do we we help them? Titus chapter 3 says, be gentle. Be gentle toward them. You may may, uh, speak all kinds of truth to them. You may convict them even of sin by telling them things about what they're doing that's wrong. But if you have not shown them gentleness, by convicting them of sin, you have not helped them. You have not helped them. It is your gentle spirit that will attract them to you and to, more importantly, to the Lord. He is a a, a gentle and lowly Savior. Lastly, coming back to Philippians chapter 4, we ought to have gentleness towards everybody. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all. And I want you to think about this. In the world today, when you look at the culture, would you say, what describes New Yorkers? What are the characteristics that describe New Yorkers? Is gentleness near the top of the list? I don't think so. It ought to be, though, that when the world looks around at Christians in this city and when they see our behavior, it ought to be that Christians are known as the most gentle and meek people in this city because they serve a Savior who is perfectly meek and gentle. It makes sense that the world is not that. They're worshiping and following all kinds of people in this world who are anything but gentle and meek. It makes sense to see that in every other area of life, but it ought not be so with us. This is how we shine light into the world, through meekness and gentleness. So I ask you again, how are you doing with the fruit of the Spirit? And how are you doing with meekness and gentleness? May God help us to fix our eyes on the meek and gentle Savior so that we can worship him, glorify him, and honor him, not just with our lips, but also with our life. Let us pray. Oh God, our Father, we praise you for your word. We know we needed it, um, and especially this message today, Lord, it's convicting to me in so many ways. I pray, God, it will touch our hearts, and it will move us to repentance. I pray, God, that you will uh, forgive us of the times in which we have been anything but gentle and meek, Uh, Forgive us for the times when we've been harsh toward others. Forgive us for the times when we've been proud and afraid rather than trusting in you and humble in in heart. Help us, Father, to see, God, 
you more clearly, your character, your bl the blessings you promise to those who will trust in you. Help us to fix our eyes on you so that we'll have the faith in you. To be able to uh, withstand the attacks upon us with gentleness and with meekness um, in every affliction and in every suffering. We thank you, O oh God, for our time together, and we pray, Lord, that this word uh, would not fall on deaf ears, but that we would receive it into our hearts and plant it uh, with humility, that we would become more like our Savior, gentle and lowly in every way. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.